It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, we're about halfway through Hold Your Fire. Very exciting. It is very exciting. People are liking what we're doing with Hold Your Fire. I'm not sure if that's a reflection on what we did the first time <laughs> we talked about Hold Your Fire or the fact that, you know, people just like to listen to us talk about Hold Your Fire. I think we should just take the compliment and run. That's right. We should. Before we get into things today, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do. We are also on another podcast this week, Jared. Isn't this exciting? It is exciting when people ask us to be on their podcast. We are going to be on Playlist Wars this week. This episode that you're hearing right now drops on May 30th, and our episode of Playlist Wars drops on May 31st. Right. So if you're hearing this Monday, tune into Playlist Wars on Tuesday. It's like getting a second rush podcast episode oh it is it totally is i didn't think of it that way totally is brian colburn is the host of playlist wars and we joined him to pick our rush playlists and i have to say i'm very confident that i am going to have the better playlist and why are you confident in this year oh i just have unearned confidence what can i say (laughs) i'm gonna win because i picked one song that you guys didn't that i think is gonna put me over the top not going to give it away, but that's my theory. Should we make a, a, a friendly wager? Sure, let's do it. What do you want to bet? Let's bet a dollar. Okay. Let's put it this way. I don't know whose is going to be first, but I, I'm going to say that mine is going to be above yours. How about that? Okay. That's the wager. That's the dollar bet. All right, you're on. Okay. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what happens. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at the TheRushCast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. He loves your email, so keep them coming. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex, of course. And Jared, we've got another set of great guests today. But first, I bet you have an email for us. I'm going to put money on it. Oh, how much money are you putting on? $7. Oh, okay. So I guess I have to give you $7? Yes, you do. how that works? Okay. Uh, Yes, I do. I have an email from Hugo. What's up, Hugo? He says, hi, Jerry and Steve. I've been listening to your podcast since about January of this year. I've known about Rush only for a little while. I listened to Moving Pictures in 2020 when it showed up in a list of five albums to get you into classic Prague. Oh, wow. Cool. But starting this winter, I started to become a hardcore obsessed Rush fan to the point where I think they've worked my way into my top five, perhaps even top two bands of all time. Oh, wow. I haven't been this head over heels for a band since I discovered Gorillaz, the band which made me fall in love with music in my teens. I have never heard Gorillaz. Does that make me a bad person? No, you've heard at least one Gorillaz song. Have I really? Yeah, Clint Eastwood. Okay. Song called Clint Eastwood. I'm at uni now. I'm 20 years old and from the UK, so I don't come across many other fans, but that hasn't stopped me from spreading the good news of Rush to anyone who will listen. So far, I haven't been able to convert anyone, but I'm not giving up. And I know that feeling, right? Oh, yeah. Everybody tries to convert people into Rush fans. Almost never works. (laughs) But I wanted to thank you as I've been loving listening to your podcast. I've learned so much about this band and their music view. And it's just great to hear from people with so much love for Rush. And also, I would like to thank Rush themselves. Having this band's discography to dig through, which I haven't actually finished yet, almost though, and find new things to love about them has been a huge source of joy for me and has helped me get out of plenty rough spots mental health-wise. Keep doing what you're doing and keep elevating from the norm, Hugo. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hugo. I'm kind of jealous. Right. He's got some new Rush albums that he hasn't listened to yet that he's going to hear for the first time. I know. I would love to know which ones they are. I haven't done that in so long, since 2012. (laughs) That's right. And I miss doing it. I really do. I know. I miss hearing new music from them, yeah. Well, we're going to hear some old music from Rush today. Back from 1987, we're going to start with track five on Hold Your Fire. It's called Prime Mover. Basic elemental Instinct to survive Stirs the higher passions Thrilled to be alive Rational resistance to an 
So, Jerry, when it came time for us to talk about Prime Mover, the first person I thought of was this man. Back on episode 32, he told us his favorite song was Prime Mover, John Take of Rush Graphs. Welcome back to the Rush Fancast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a while, but uh, been listening all the way along and really enjoying what you guys are up to. So, good to be back. Well, we really appreciate having you back. And we'd like to start off with a quote. This one is from Getty Lee about prime mover we obviously have a chordal structure and a melodic fix or picture of what the part's going to be usually i put it down and between neil and myself we get a little rhythm pattern going i play around with the melody and depending on what the tone center is and what the chord structures are in that area i just write my part then alex plays different solos around what neil and i have already put down he's quite content to work with what we've put down and in most parts He's around through every stage anyway, and he's quite aware of the direction it's going in. He'll go down and wail, and a lot of times he will surprise us. It's a totally different direction than we had expected, but it's always within the melodic structure that exists. So that's pretty interesting. Neil and Getty writing together, and then Alex jumping in later on. Your thoughts, guys? You know, I love this song because it is where Rush really shows up as a real trio, as a collaboration. And, you know, you go through and you kind of break it down and kind of chart or graph out the song. And you start to see pauses and spaces where where they're giving each other room. And, you know, everyone talks about Hold Your Fire in the presence of the synths. But I love how the bass and the vocal the drums and the guitar all are doing different things as the song goes through. I mean, I think this is a well-architected song. I don't know if they drew this up or what, but, you know, to hear them talk about that creative process, I think it showed up in the final product. Yeah, there are definitely pauses and breaks just melodically and just instrumentally throughout the song where they're, I guess they're at a point now in their career where there's like, you know what, maybe we don't need to do the flashy stuff all the time right? We're a band. We, we can do whatever we want. And this is the thing we want to do right here in this part of the song. Now, Jer, when we first talked about this song, we mentioned that Twilight Zone episode 57, March 24th, 1961, was called The Prime Mover. Now, John, this is your favorite Rush song of all time, correct? It is, yep. Does this song have anything to do with that Twilight Zone episode? Or is that just a coincidence? <laughs> I don't know. Was Neil watching it and, you know, picked up those two words and then riffed on it? I mean, not to me. You know, I don't immediately think of uh, a psychokinetic dice chucker. So, you know, for, for, for me. It, Hold on. That's a great band name. Yeah. <laughs> psychokinetic dice chucker. So not for me, but I, I'm sure. I mean, they spent so much time on the road. Who knows when the moment of inspiration struck and something went into Neil's notebook, right? So not for me, but I'm not saying that didn't happen. You know, I don't think we know. Well, the phrase prime mover is, is an actual phrase. It means the thing that sets off any number of processes. Usually I've heard it most often referred to in relationship to God or a God who just kind of like, you know, kickstarted the entire universe and everything has run on its own power since then. But it's also used in other mechanical things, with you know, engines and things like that. It's whatever begins, whatever begins a process, gives it its start, gives it its spark, and lets the rest of it take over. So there's a lot of that in this song. You're talking about ignition points and you know, currents and surges and things like that. So what is your take, John, on what the song is really about on its own? To me, it has like a this kind of line running through it, but I'm not ex- exactly sure where all of it comes together to make a cohesive argument. Yeah, and I, I definitely think with the whole wheels in motions running behind the scenes, I mean, he's talking about that 
Aristotelian, Aristotelian interpretation of prime mover. I mean, he's riffing on that idea. And, you know, I think one of the reasons this is one of my favorite songs is it, it reflects with the lived experience of a life. And, you know, I see Neil as, you know, he's one of the wise ones. He was seeking after truth and whether it's like capital T truth or small T truth that changes through your life. I think this is a story of a life from beginning to end. And I'm fundamentally an optimist. So I love the optimism and the effervescence that pops through this song. But I think it's about the promise of a life and a lived life. And, you know, whether, whether you think or ascribe to different sorts of truth, you know, I think this song kind of underlines Neil's pursuit of truth and that he, he was, you know, really seeking and learning and finding he had an open mind. And this is a, probably a little bit of his story. And it resonates with me because it's kind of my story too, you know, just it hit me right in between high school and college. And that's, I don't know. I've heard you guys talk about, you know, certain rush albums, when you, depending on when they hit you in your life, they resonate more or less. And so coming out of high school, like the exact summer in between high school and university, that's when this album hit me. And, you know, and then I've kind of followed it and anything can happen is my life motto. So to me, it's about the choices and, and embracing the journey. So it's about life to me, you know. Right. And the, the few lines from a point on the compass to magnetic north, the point of the needle moving back and forth. It's just, you have to follow, you have to follow the needle where it's going. You know what I mean? If you're pointing in a certain direction, maybe you're going to point away from magnetic north, but right. that's like the new place you're going to go. Right. Yeah. And we waver and we learn. And there's, you know, I think there's fundamental truths out there about all sorts of things in the universe, but you know, our needle varies and we're back and forth and we're learning and, and adapting and making choices. And, you know, from that point of conception to when the candles burn, that's why I think right. it's about a life, you know, and you know, how you see life and, you know, do you embrace it? And, and do you have a fundamentally optimistic point of view? I think this is an optimistic song. Right. And if you take the certain, like you say, small T truths, and make them big T truths in your life? Do you have enough foresight and intelligence to reduce them back down to the small T when you're presented with newer evidence? Right. You know, and, and in the song, he speaks about the influences, right? Like filters on your eyes or, yeah. or lenses polarizing how, you, how you're seeing small truth and big truth and how, you know, you can have a show of hands, a vote or a decision. You can have a change of plans. And so, you know, this this idea of you know you can just you can just stretch your whole life right out over this song eh yeah you really I, I went into this and Steve I don't remember what I said the first time we talked about the song <laughs> I was probably a lot more confident back then but over time I've I've tried to figure out what the song is about and I've kind of lost my thing but the, I think uh, John's onto something here I think he's really got this one figured out well that's just me <laughs> <laughs> I can see why this is your favorite song John because it, it's so inspirational and after reading these lyrics. It's now one of my favorite songs. I mean, not that it wasn't a favorite before, but it's jumped up on my list. Just Neil's use of the word point in this song is brilliant. Every time he says point, it means something different. Point of ignition is kind of a moment in time, right? Point of the journey is a goal or destination. Point on a compass is a direction, right? Yeah. And the point of the needle is an arrow. I mean, it's... right. It's different every single time he uses the word point. He did some heavy lifting on this song in his lyric book, didn't he? Like yeah, it is, yeah. it, it is, I mean, it, there's the, the visual uh, and the imagery that pops off. And I loved, I went back and listened to the, the, you know, it was an early episode when you guys first look at hold your fire, wasn't it? Oh yeah. It was way early on. And I loved that, that you brought up the mechanical prime mover too. So, you know, when I was in between college and or in between high school and college, I was deciding I became a water resources engineer. And so that's another reason I like this, you know, uh, side A and side B on hold your fire. They both end with water songs, you know, alternating currents in a tidewater surge. You know, to me, that speaks a, a tidewater environment. It's one of the harshest places on earth to survive. If you can survive at that interface between land and ocean, you are one tough customer. And so, you know, and to me, I think a lot of us struggle as we go through life. And that, you know, starting at that, that tidewater surge, you know, and just life's not easy all the time. And then it's still up an optimistic song and all the way through, you know, you mentioned the big mechanical prime movers, 
I spent seven years in New Orleans building these monstrous pump stations to help reduce risk for New Orleans after Katrina. And so I, you know, those mechanical prime movers, I've designed, you know, like 5,000 horsepower pumps and movers, you know, the spinning pieces are like 12 feet in diameter. And so that, you know, when we started those up, I was humming prime mover in my, in my head. <laughs> yeah. And musically, the bass line and the groove is so cool on this one. And yeah. as usual, fits the lyrics perfectly, right? Yeah. I think the bass is almost like a guitar here. It's really interesting how the synths, the drums are doing something a little bit different. Neil's not turned up to 11 on this. The bass is doing some very guitar-like melodic work. And then he also has the some really cool bass lines. And then Alex is doing really interesting things as well with kind of some really high ringing guitar sounds and tones, and then some really interesting work that's a lot broader sound during some of the choruses. I watched, I went back, I love on YouTube, you can kind of see how the song evolved as they performed it. Early on, you can tell, Hold Your Fire Tour, they were slaves to the tech. Like early on, like the first couple of gigs, they didn't move, they stood still. Alex is looking at the fretboard, he's like totally into the tech and Getty doesn't move. And then you kind of come on like halfway through the tour, Alex is coming to center stage and, you know, doing the old oil Derek move. That he likes <laughs> to do. And, but Getty, I mean, you could tell this tour was hard on them. Technically they yeah. didn't have the freedom to move around. They were doing this big production with MIDI controllers and stuff. So it's interesting to see how difficult it was when they were starting the tour. You can just tell they're doing math in their head as Neil liked to say. One more lyrical thing I wanted to point out, just the juxtaposition of these two lines. The point of the journey is not to arrive, and the point of departure is not to return. Just the opposite way those, right. those lyrics go. It's just keep moving and keep discovering new things in life. Don't stop, right? Yeah, and make it mean something, right? You know, we're all, we've all departed from somewhere. And don't return. Make your journey mean something. Like I said, it's this is this is my life song, right? Because you're never going to get back to the place you started from. Even if you physically return to the place you started from, you're probably a different person. So you're never actually getting back. I hope so. <laughs> you can't step in the same river twice or something like that. This is true, Jerry. Yeah. There's also one cool thing too about the line "I set the clouds in motion." I don't know if you guys know this little story, but evidently Neil used to watch a meteorologist in Burlington, Vermont, a guy named Stuart Hall. And when he would be doing his uh, thing behind the green screen or the blue screen, he would say, let's set the clouds in motion. And he would like bring in the, bring, bring in the animation. So that's where, that's where Neil got that line from. That's awesome. I set the clouds in motion. That whole section of the song is very evocative of a concert as well. Right. I mean, that's yeah. what they're doing, getting ready to, to let right before the, the curtain drops. That's right. You know, Jerry and I got together the other day, John, and we were talking about, how cool it would be to just pick up in life and move somewhere new. This song, I think, is kind of the inspiration to do something like that. Don't you guys think? Yeah, no, I agree. And so I, you know, I grew up in Eastern Canada and then for grad school, I went out West to Alberta. And then in 2003, I moved to the U.S. So I've done that a few times. And in every case, you know, your world expands, you learn more, exposed to new cultures. Again, I've, I've embraced this idea of, of let's go somewhere, let's move, let's try something new, and you know everything will work out. Just watch your compass needle. And that's the way Neil went through life, checking out all those national parks, picking up his life and moving from Toronto to Los Angeles and starting new there. I mean, he did this his whole life. Right. So, John, why don't you fill us in on what's going on with Rush Graphs? Any cool graphs you can tell us about that you've been working on? <laughs> I don't know. I think I have graffers block. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, you know, I, I was on a tear for a while, like every, like turning out, I don't know, five, six graphs a week. And, you know, I think I got a lot of the easy ones done and I've got a list of about a hundred I want to do, but they're going to take a lot of research. And so got really busy at work. And then there's this little thing that happened <laughs> yeah. that, that uh, um, we've all dealt with. So I'm starting to think like moving that whole project ahead, starting to look like a retirement project in that, you know, to really increase the, the data visualization quality and to make it what I want to make it, I don't think I can do my day job. So that's kind of sitting there. So, you know, rush wise, I kind of been, you know, just continuing to have fun collecting rarities and, and vinyl and, 
playing a lot of rush pinball. I got that rush pinball game. Oh, that was really? one of the coolest things I've ever gotten in my life for a birthday. Unreal. Wow. wow that's some birthday present. Who got that yeah, for you? Really? Your wife? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Wow. There's a keeper. You have to come play it. <laughs> that's something else. Hey, I'll, I'll come out for a weekend. play rush pinball oh boy well thanks so much for joining us john today and expanding our view on prime mover we really appreciate it have a great day great well thanks for having me and keep it up love what you guys are doing so jared my memory is going okay it's really going but somewhere deep in my memory i remembered that john take told us that prime mover was his favorite rush song and that's why we called him to be back on the podcast yeah, I didn't remember that. That was, you dug that out of the, the musty basement of your brain. But I'm so glad we did. He knows so much about the song, has such passion for it. It was just great to talk to him. It was great. And it was nice to hear him echo like sentiments that I had about the song the first time we went through it. Yeah. Just makes me feel validated that I was on the right track if someone agrees with me. Well, Absolutely. So, Joe, that brings us to track six on Hold Your Fire. We've got another great guest to talk about this one. First, let's listen to it. Lock and key. It's not a matter of mercy. It's not a matter of law. Plenty of people will kill you. So, Jared, to help us break down lock and key, we've got a guest who joined us way back on episode 80 of the Rush Fancast. Steve Holmes, welcome back to the Rush Fancast. Thank you so much. This is awesome. I'm so thrilled that you guys asked me back. Well, we're thrilled to have you back. And we want to start out by asking you what your thoughts are on Hold Your Fire as a whole and Neil Peart's drum work on it. Well, I saw them on this tour at the Spectrum in Philly. It was my second second rush concert, you know, I seen them on power windows and was super stoked to see them on hold your fire. And I remember just being so excited for that record. I remember hearing force 10 on the radio when they like premiered it, you know, on the radio, which was a thing they did back then, you know, and, uh, man, as a whole album, it's just, I think it's a really good demonstration of the maturity of the, of the band at that point in terms of composition. And, uh, you know, they had moved on to other producers at that point. And so they were really trying to find, you know, different places and, and push the boundaries of what they could do with, with their thing, which I think is really cool, you know, and this album is kind of a, it's the result of that. Each album just has its own thing, its own sound and its own kind of vibe, which is just so amazing for a band to do. It's so difficult, especially with three guys who have made so many albums up to that point, because you are going to start repeating yourself, right? Mm-hmm. This is just the same ingredients, right? You can only make so many salads with the same salad bar right if you will and i feel like they knew that and they were trying to avoid the consequences of that which not a lot of bands do you know so again it's very very mature i think as musicians and composers but um man just every tune on there is just i mean i mean you guys know i'm from that generation it's like okay side one and side two Mm -hmm. you know i don't know if i could do it let me let's say force 10 time stand still open secrets man uh second nature yeah Okay. And then prime mover. Right. And that's side one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Side two, lock and key. And then there's mission and turn the page. I don't know the order. I'm going to say turn the page and then mission. No mission. Then oh, turn the page. Man. Mission, turn the page. And then, um, I know high water is last, but there's one before that. Isn't there? Yes. Oh man. That's really good too. I remember thinking, um, <laughs> uh, the 7,000 stairs, Steve. 
Oh, Taishan. There you go. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I might right. not be saying that correctly, but. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not a, a huge fan of all those tunes, like, you know, Open Water and Taishan. I could probably never listen to and I'd be okay with it. But, man, like, yeah, th- that whole record, you know, and they and they, they did the cool thing with the artwork, you know, with the with the with the cover, with the with the, you know, the red, the three red balls. And then you open it up and there's a guy juggling the fireballs with the stuff in the background. And we were all like me and my friends. We were like fine tooth comb, like, oh, there's the dog from Signals. <laughs> in the background you know because hugh you know however you say his last name you guys had him on your your show right hugh sim is your son time okay yeah i always thought he did you know really amazing work and kind of you know the adding a visual component to the rush thing is is it's no small feat and i always thought he did an amazing job they kind of went hand in hand really well but yeah it was the cassette tape back then and we just played it over and over and i was so excited to be able to see them on that tour and this was also steve and my's second rush show too mm. on this tour and it was the first rush album that we got to listen to when it came out as rush fans oh man yes i remember like going into my local record shop uh, like every week because you know you kind of a new an album was coming out right mm. i don't remember the dates they didn't really have dates yeah like how did we know how did we know without the internet how did we do anything <laughs> without the internet? and the dude was like he was the guy behind the counter was just like, yeah, it's not out yet. And like every week I'd come in and say, hey, when did that rush out? He's like, it's not out yet. Not <laughs> he was so mad at me. I, I must have gone in for like a month and a half or two months asking every week when it was coming out. That's great. That's great. So before we get into lock and key, I wanted to bring up something to you guys. The song alludes to The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, which is a novel by Carson McCullers. Have either of you guys read this book? No, I didn't know that. That's interesting. I feel like I should have been prepared. I feel like I should be busting that stuff out for you guys. Like, Hey, did you know? <laughs> and when they played the song live, I don't know if you saw in the video, they played a little clip from a movie called the last mile mm-hmm. to illustrate the concept of killer instinct. Also a movie I had not seen. No, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. That's su- super interesting. I really like that. They did that stuff on their shows. You know, they had those cool, you know, visual backgrounds and stuff. Let's talk about the keyboards, obviously, are very heavy on this album, but also Neil's playing a lot of electronic drums, isn't he? Jeez, not on this tune. Not on this um, tune? Not on this tune. Actually, not. I mean, uh, Tai Shan, definitely, there's a, a, a mixture um, of all kinds of different samples. Um, I'm trying to think. Opens it primarily. No, it's primarily acoustic, but on Tai Shan, obviously, there's tons of samples of, of all different kinds of uh, percussion, I'm sure, that, that Neil was into. But the, you know, that electronic xylophone, you know, the, the cat, it was called K-A-T. They made that thing that, that he had. It's like electronic xylophone. They use that on the instrumental, uh, the middle section of Mission, you know, where he plays that line. Right. And then Getty's doubling it with him. And I recall he used it on that tune. But yeah, the drumming is just it. Yeah. And he had the Ludwigs. This was the first record with the Ludwigs, you guys. Before this, it was Power Windows. Yes. This is the first record with the Ludwigs. He changed to Ludwig, which was a huge deal in the drumming community. They released the ad. Actually, he, he had a, they had a contest in Modern Drummer uh, where they said, like, I am gonna give, I'm going to give away my red kit to someone who, you know, you, you play a drum solo and try to win the contest. And I just remembered. I actually, I entered. I recorded a drum solo. I entered the contest. I tried to get the red Tama kit. He was with Tama before. And then... They did a big write-up in Modern Drummer back then. He said he sampled all these different drum companies because I always felt bad for the rest of them. You know, he's like, I want to make sure I'm using the best. You know, like they said that he wanted to make sure at this point he's using the best drums. They sampled all these different companies, and they all didn't send him samples. Some didn't, um, and he went with Ludwig, and that was that was a big deal back then. And what about the drums uh, on this song in particular? I love the drum fills at the beginning, and in I guess what's the bridge where they get mm-hmm. to the, it's not a matter of mercy. And Neil is just doing all those cool drum fills. Yes. Yeah. The, and it's funny. Cause I have, I can like stream now from my, from my drum room. Uh, and I thought about doing this from there and maybe demonstrating a couple of things, but my, my kit isn't, I don't have like a big drum kit, you know? So maybe next time, maybe next time we'll do that. I'll set up a big kit just for that purpose and we'll do a thing. But yeah, to your point, the grooves, are really cool. I mean, there's a big effort to vary it up. Like for example, on the first verse, right? We carry a precious cargo. It's kind of a standard rock groove, like two and four on the snare, very close, tight hi-hat. 
And then the second verse, uh, which I think you're talking about, you know, it's not a matter of conscience, a search for probable cause, etc. Mm -hmm. He's doing this thing that actually he he does a lot on other tunes. He does it on Time Stand Still as well, where he's playing like two hands on the hi hat, like a sixteenth note kind of thing. And then with his left hand, he's hitting his timbali on the left in the middle of the groove, and obviously playing like various backbeats. You know, do you right? That's basically the groove for the second verse. And again, like you can hear, and I've been thinking about this recently. Honestly, I have. I think that the way that they did that back then is I think Neil came up with the grooves. He recorded the grooves and then Getty went in after and he like memorized the groove and basically doubled it with his bass because he's he's like note for note doubling what Neil's playing from a rhythmic standpoint. You know, Getty is also doing like just to do that, that, you know, when Neil's doing the same thing, like rhythmically. Um, and so th those guys are like like machine like you know like doubling each other's parts which i think is really cool and so yeah that's the first verse the second verse and then the you know the kind of pre-course if you will no reward for resistance he's doing the kind of thing where he uh you know he loosens the hi-hat and he's not playing like eighth notes or 16 notes. he's not like did, 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 did. he's like did, did. like no reward for resistance and he loosens the tension on the hi-hat a little bit so that when you hit it it doesn't go did. it goes like you know what mm -hmm. i mean so it's like a longer note for example, like in Tom Sawyer, maybe as his skies are wide, like that same kind of uh, same kind of thing. Uh, so not playing a lot of notes and just letting the note kind of ring out on the hi-hat. That's what he's doing there. But the chorus, he's playing this really cool thing on the ride cymbal where instead of a constant, like instead of a constant, you know, he's like, right. And there's he's playing like groups of two notes on his ride cymbal, like with space in between and right? That's what he's doing there. And I noticed that his snare is tuned really high and he, this is the classic Neil, like so aggressive with the snare fills in between like every, every line of lyrics. And it's funny because when people talk about like playing busy, you're kind of like, oh, be careful. You don't want to step on the music. You know, you don't want to get in the way of the music, right? That, that's what people talk about. And, you know, there's, that's a reasonable argument. But the thing is like, he wrote the lyrics, you know, so so he's allowed to step on whatever he wants to. You know what I mean? He's like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I understand that I'm stepping potentially stepping on the lyrics. And obviously, obviously it works for them. Right. That's the beauty of, of their, you know, their salad, you know, is that he could play busy and, you know, we can all sing along. It obviously didn't get in the way, which I think is super cool. But yes, snare cranked super high. And I'm trying to think of like, uh, I don't want to face killers. You are me, you know, or you know, or right, like in between every one of those, he's playing a fill, and it's an example of what I call like, you know, because it's progressive rock, right? Like, quote unquote, that's the genre. And I feel like this tune is a good example. There's so many other tunes, but this tune is a good example of Neil's drumming being progressive within the tune because obviously parts of the tune are going to repeat, right? You're going to get to the chorus like whatever, two, three times. And so the first time the fill is like simple. It's like da 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 da. The second time it's the same fill, but like he goes faster. Da 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 da. Right. And so it's literally progressing. And then the third time it's even more notes. You know, like whatever. Pardon my you know seeing the drumming, but you get the point. Like it, the, the drumming itself literally progresses throughout the tune, which which is obviously a conscious decision that he did. And I just think it's super cool. Well, that's one of the things that I've noticed just from talking with musicians about these songs, that something I've, I've been hearing these songs for so long, but I've never really been able to pick apart things just like that. Like usually mm -hmm. drummers keep the beat for a song. Mm -hmm. He does different things in different parts of the song that other drummers just don't do for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, there's a number of factors there. You know, first of all, you have to have it in you to do it to begin with. You have to have the arsenal right? Ready to take out, which obviously Neil does, but not everyone, not everyone does. And then it's like, if you are the guy that has the arsenal, if you are the guy that can play the things, it's like, okay, well, what's again, like what's musically appropriate, you know, because, and this is something else I've been thinking about. Like every song has an intention. Like if you're writing a tune, if anyone's writing a tune, it's like, I intend for the song to do a thing, to, to provoke a feeling, to send this message and to sound a certain way. Right. And so if you're the guy that comes in and you step all over that, then that's counter to that to that intention literally right and so the composer may be like oh this is not this is not helping <laughs> you know so you need to change what you're doing but obviously that, that that was not the case with these guys 
everything they did just kind of like it pushed it forward. And it's funny because on YouTube and stuff, there's like demos, which I think is crazy. I don't know if you guys have heard. There's like demos of like Power Windows, for example, Big Money. Yeah. Um, before they actually recorded it. And it sounds pretty, pretty different. And so it's interesting getting to sample, you know, one stepping stone along that process, you know? Yeah, you're right. You're right. It, it is, it is amazing that, that he did that. And the other thing, of course, that makes Neil so amazing, as we mentioned, not only is the drumming fantastic, but the lyrics are just brilliant Yes, on this song. And if I could show off my, my Rush fan uh, status real quick. Please. Please do. This is not the only song, but it is one of the songs where I printed up the lyrics and brought it in to like <laughs> one of my classes. <laughs> really? Yes. In high school, we had, a, we had a class called The Conscience of Man, which was basically about World War II, right? Which I, I find impressive because I graduated in 90s. So you're talking like late 80s, right? Mm-hmm. And they just hammered it into us. I remember, you know, just the atrocities of World War II, et cetera. And soldiers doing what they're told versus not. And it was called Conscious of Man. And, you know, I printed up lock and key, you know, because it talks about the killer instinct. And we brought it in and, and I'm like, hey, let's listen to this tune. And luckily my teacher was cool enough to be like, okay. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we listened to lock and key and I friggin' printed up, I typed up the lyrics at home, printed it up, made copies at school, and we passed them out. And then there was another class where I did it with the Manhattan Project for obvious reasons, because that's applicable to history right? with the, the atomic bomb, et cetera. But yeah, Conscious of Man, we, we listened to, I'm pretty sure we listened to, to Lock and Key. And yes, the lyrics are amazing. There's no like ambiguity here. Like it spells it out pretty clearly. Like I'm looking at the lyrics now, even though I haven't memorized. And there was one thing I, when I, right before we started, I was looking at the lyrics and, you know, compositionally speaking, I th- think it's pretty interesting because usually the bridge of a tune is like before the final chorus it's like verse chorus verse chorus you know solo maybe mm-hmm. and then you know some some bridge and then that builds to like the final the final outro course and in this instance i would call the bridge you know we don't want to be victims of that we all agree right. it's doing da da you know which which is really cool but that's just before the outro yeah. right it's the end of the song it's the end of the song <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is cool because it's essentially a breakdown. Like the like the 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 bottom, you know, gets pulled out, you know, in there, yeah. and it's just that little keyboard kind of a funky staccato thing, do 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 do, ga ga, you know, <laughs> right. Um, and then it jumps into this big outro that's kind of reminiscent of, say, like subdivisions or something, where they build, you know, they build to the to the keyboard part that's in the intro, and Neil solos over that keyboard part. That's what's happening there, right? Mm-hmm. And the drum solo, man, so cool. Just so cool. He's, he's just so good at, okay, you've got like whatever, eight, eight bars, 16 bars, 32 bars, whatever it is. And he just comes up with the coolest things. And his drums just sound great on there, you know? And it's another example of like, you know, the he does these rolls down the toms and kind of comes back to the snare in the middle of the roll, you know? Right. Um, and the part that leads up to that, he's doing the snare on like on the quarter notes for this driving thing, like, after the bridge, it's like, you know, and then the drum Right. There's the whole drum solo. I just sang it for you. Right. And I don't have a big enough kit where I could do that. I mean, I could do it on like four drums, obviously but it just wouldn't sound as cool. You know, <laughs> it just wouldn't sound as cool. And I watched that video too, man, I would just kill to be able to go back in time and be like, you know what? Let me edit this because <laughs> one of the, I mean, the, the decisions that these editors make, you could tell the guy was not like a musician or a rush fan. Cause like every time they cut to something, I'm like, no, that's not what you should be showing right now. Alex is doing a really cool thing. You need to show Alex right now. Right, you know, Neil right. just played a fill and you're showing Getty. He's not even singing. Like, Stuff like that, you know, like in hindsight, these videos that we were lucky to have, but now it's like, you know, as I get older and I, I like video editing is kind of a, like, I'm a, you know, I'm like a, a, a wannabe, you know, I've, I've done a lot of it and I'm like a hobbyist. I've got tons of drum videos and I've edited musical performances and it's like knowing what to show and when to show in a musical performance, like is a thing, you know, one of the biggest crimes against humanity for Rush fans is like on the exit stage left in the Tom Sawyer drum solo, they actually cut to Neil for a second and the video that they show is not what he's playing. It's like a, 
It's like a chunk from another thing. <laughs> really? Yes. Just for like a second at the beginning of the drum solo. Um, I think they cut to him a few times and most of the shots, it is what he's playing. But the very first shot, it's not. And I remember even back then being like, what are you doing? This is like, you know, it's this is the second coming in, in music form. It's like, you know, you know, I've uh, Tom Sawyer drum solo and you're not showing it. Stuff was so frustrating back then. So just for clarification, the video you're referring to is from a show of hands. I sent it to you guys before. Or are you talking about the video? I'm talking about the actual music. Video oh, you're talking about Lock the music video. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the live video, which you also sent me, I'm still talking about lock and key, you know, you had sent it to me recently and uh, I had never seen it before. I, I imagine there's maybe a lot of Rush fans out there that have not seen it before, because as it turns out, we were talking about this before the show, lock and key is on the show of hands, laser disc, right? Good old, good old laser disc. And, and I didn't have a laser disc player back then. Um, and I didn't know that there was like uh, an extra, an extra cut on, on the laser disc. I think it's pretty cool. It's so funny. I'm so nitpicky. I'm like, uh, the, the audio mix on show of hands is like, uh, you know, I, I, I have issues with it. It doesn't sound very live. It sounds direct as opposed to like exit stage left and all the world's a stage. Like it, it sounds like a big room. It sounds like a band is playing in a big room, right? Those, and I love that about live recordings, but a show of hands, it's a great recording, but it kind of sounds like direct from the board. It's missing that kind of like, oh, this is a big place with a really loud band. It sounds like, you know, it doesn't sound like that. But yeah, super cool that they did that. And just to circle back to the lyrics for a little bit, yeah. do you remember what kind of grade you got when you brought these lyrics? In? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Because I, when I read these lyrics, you know, the first, you know, after the the intro with the keyboards, it's, mm -hmm. you know, we carry a sensitive cargo below the below the waterline, ticking like a time bomb with a primitive yeah, yeah. design. Yep. And throughout the entire song, there really isn't any kind of balance between uh, like the violence that everyone kind of carries underneath the surface mm -hmm. and the things that we do to keep a lid on them right in the song. We just, we have to keep it under lock and key, right? There's just, yeah. we either it's coming out or it's capped. Yeah. Like the, in this song itself, there's doesn't seem to be any kind of remedy for that kind of, uh, violent expression or anger or anything like that, which is an interesting way to look at, like you said, world history, because, that seems to be the case, right? Yeah, it's it's like a binary thing. Yeah, there's no gray area, right? Although I was thinking earlier today, no reward for resistance, no uh, no no assistance, no applause, mm -hmm. or is it? Yeah, it's no assistance. It's not it's not resistance again. Okay, so no assistance, no applause. I mean, I think that's an interesting lyric, but I mean, you know, to counter that, you know, Neil, you know, the the reward is the avoidance of consequences. Right, that's the reward, and it's a big reward. You know, because if you if you were to use your killer instinct and and do whatever you're going to do, then it's like there's going to be serious consequences. You're going to wish you hadn't. And so the reward is is avoiding those consequences, you know. Right. Look at us staying on topic. It's it's only ten, it's only like <laughs> 13 after we're like, all right, cool. Talk to you guys later. Click. Ooh. So Alex license solo. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got the killer instinct, right? Sure. Doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, uh, he, uh, purely speculative, and 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 I just my my appreciation for Alex is just it just keeps going up and up and up, you know, because obviously YouTube and whatever seen all these videos, and I saw a video of him in a recording studio. He recorded a solo for someone else, and it was just so interesting watching him improvise and like what comes out of a person like when they do, and and the decades that he has spent doing that, and what he can play as a result. You know, the solo is amazing. To your point. But what I find more impressive, especially when, when you get to a certain level, it's like, okay, these guys are at the top of their game. They're pioneers in progressive rock. The nature of progressive rock is like busy, complicated playing. Okay. So these guys have chops is the point, right? And so the difficult thing about when you get chops is not using them hmm. because you want to all the time, right? Because it's fun and you can, and it's neat and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so the, the, the musical discretion of like, you know, it's such a keyboard heavy record and and track and so the nature of that is like well these keyboards just take up so much space because there's like these big heavy patches these big heavy chords i mean the beginning it sounds like this huge church organ in the beginning you know what i mean and finding the space to put the guitar mm -hmm. i think is really cool and that's the thing that that i appreciate almost you know at least as much as the solo like you're right the solo is really cool you know it's a rock and roll guitar solo he, he's amazing right period the end 
but it's like okay the rest of the tune it's okay well you know we talked about it earlier like okay the first verse is drastically different from the second verse so okay what are you gonna do you know like it really is a thing like when you sit in a room with people and it's like okay i have an idea for a thing coming up with parts it's okay here's my here's the thing that i have an idea for what would you like to do <laughs> it's mm-hmm. okay, okay well this is a brand new thing that's never existed before and it's on me to come up with the part you know what i mean like it's it's incredibly challenging you know and it doesn't happen by magic you know what I mean? Like you come up with a thing and then there's like collaboration of like, Hey, I, I like that, but maybe a little less this and a little more that and whatever, but basically like finding those spaces to put your guitar and have it, you know, not get in the way and have it support and complement, I think is just amazing. In addition to the solo itself. Yeah. Most of the songs, well, whole album, basically the songs are just very well constructed songs to me. Yeah. It's a, it's a very cohesive album in general and then you know and then after this they kind of abandoned the keyboards and went in a slightly different direction again Mm -hmm. this is like the peak of the keyboard era eh? right this is this is their last hurrah this is their you know love letter to the keyboards almost yeah to the 80s you know right okay and it's true actually when you think about it because it is kind of the end it's like what this was 88 89 hold your fire yep um and so this is like the peak and again like after this it's like okay well it's time for a new decade like what what is the 90s like, what is it, you guys? It's presto. Okay, cool. Like, less keyboards, more guitar. You know, there's some keyboards, but, you know, it's certainly, to your point, it's not anywhere near, you know, uh, hold your fire, power, windows, grace, under pressure, signals. But, yeah, Alex is, is amazing on there. It, it always amazes me that, that, that these guys managed to do this for so long, you know, that they didn't get tired of it, that they didn't break up for whatever reason that I'm sure they could list hundreds of, you know. And hold your fire was, was a unique uh, occasion because we got so much we got the record we got the live album we got the live video mm-hmm. show of hands which i have to say probably the biggest oh my god moment in my whole rush you know fandom era was being in sam goody in the hamilton mall in hamilton township new jersey and picking up the vhs box for show of hands and turning it over and looking at the song list and seeing the rhythm method drum solo yeah right because on exit stage left there is no drum solo on the video and so i was like of course there's not going to be a drum solo on the video we're not going to be able to see neil Peart play his drum solo unless we go to concert and i remember seeing that at that moment and it was like lightning came down from the sky (laughs) and i was like oh my god you guys (laughs) the drum solos on the video which was huge back then and actually that's how i learned how to do what what we call the crossover uh, where he does the thing you might recall on the drum solo where he play plays this thing where his hands actually cross over each other and there's no way to know that from listening right but i remember seeing it and rewinding it and like doing it on the floor my sister will tell you my little sister jamie she watched me like figure it out on the carpet on the floor like with drumsticks watching that video so good times the the hold your fire era went to the tour did all these things amazing music good times Steve, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fan Cast. What's going on on your YouTube channel? Anything Rush fans uh, would be interested in? Uh, it's possible. I mean, if you're interested in drumming, sure. Uh, I've kind of switched gears over the last couple months to just live streaming. I've stopped making, like, you know, produced videos, if you will, where I record everything and then edit it after the fact and release it. Like, I've just gone right to streaming. I, I've got like a handful of streams now on my channel that you can go back and watch. It's obviously easier to do, but I just it's, it's a nice change. And I just really enjoy, you know, the live aspect of like improvising on drums and then chatting with people in real time and just talking about drums. I have just as much fun talking about stuff as I do, like just doing the drumming, you know? Um, and so I've been doing tons of that. Uh, so if you just search for like Steve Holmes drums on YouTube, you'll find my channel and hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit that bell. <laughs> Smash uh, that like button. Smash the, yeah, it's the bell. I could never bring myself to ask you. Don't forget to ring the bell to get notified. What? <laughs> I'm not saying that, you guys. Sorry. But yeah, so lots of live streaming. I'm trying to upgrade the, the camera and the audio setup because getting like the, you know, good quality, getting a good drum sound to happen live in real time is, is challenging. And I'm still like learning that skill set. A lot of guys are doing that now and I'm trying to, trying to do that. So that's, that's what's going on with that. Lots of streaming, lots of chatting about drumming. So if you, if you want to chat about Rush, anyone you know um check out the channel and try to find when i stream unfortunately there's no scheduled times i just kind of like on a saturday i find myself with a couple hours i'm like okay let's do it you know so that's what's going on with that well getting your perspective on neil's drumming is always a treat steve thanks so much again for joining us and have a great day you too sir thank you so much i love talking to steve jerry he knows so much about drumming and i love the way he can 
sing the drum parts. So many drummers can do that. <laughs> they all can do it. I don't understand how they do it, but they can. Steve could just take the entire Hold Your Fire record and sing the drum parts all the way through. <laughs> right. Whenever you, whenever you hear a drummer talk about drumming, they're always doing the whatever. And it's like, I don't even hear that in the song. But he does it perfectly, which is amazing. I know. It's, it is it's quite the skill. So, Jared, one other thing I wanted to bring up today, just recently, a week or so ago, the new George Carlin documentary came out on HBO. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. Judd Apatow did a documentary on George Carlin, which is supposedly fantastic. I have not watched it yet. Okay. But it got me thinking that George Carlin is to comedy what Neil Peart is to writing lyrics. <laughs> now think about this, okay? Okay. Every time something happens in the world, like the whole Roe versus Wade thing that happened a few weeks ago. Yeah. George Carlin videos start popping back up. That's right. Of George Carlin talking about abortion or whatever. And George is just as relevant today as he was 20, 30 years ago when he did these comedy bits. That's a great observation, Steve. And when you listen to Neil Peart's lyrics, they're just as relevant today as they were 20, 30 years ago when he wrote them. What do you think of that? I think that's great. I hadn't thought about that. That's great. You know, I love Carlin. I know. He was a great observer of society. And so was Neil, right? Right. So I think it's a great comparison. And I bet you, I bet you Neil Peart was a huge George Carlin fan. I bet you he was. Hmm. Why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't anybody be a huge George Carlin fan? I don't know. I don't know. Let us know what your thoughts are. TheRushCast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at TheRushCast. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. Of course. He's fantastic. He did Prime Mover today, masterfully as always. As always. As always. Fleet fingered. <laughs> and how about a quote, Jared? Give us a quote to wrap this up. Okay. I don't want to silence a desperate voice for the sake of security. No one wants to make a terrible choice on the price of being free. Awesome. Thanks, Jer. See you later.